friends, and welcome to season four of Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Over the past three seasons of this podcast, Vanessa and I have cherished the privilege of talking with over 50 women of different ages and stages. Wow. 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 That's That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We've had conversations centered on the living truth found in the Old Testament books of Ecclesiastes and Joshua and the New Testament book of James. Now here we are at the beginning of season four and about to embark on the exploration mm. of another New Testament book, yep. the book of Acts. So joining Vanessa and me today is Mary Beth McGreevy, co-author with our much-loved former pastor George Robertson of the Bible study Acts, the church the Trinity built. Welcome, Mary Beth. Thank you, Amber. Thanks, Vanessa. Mary Beth is a favorite of mine because Mary Beth is my first uh, seminary professor, so uh, she is beloved to me. She is beloved to many because of her Bible studies, um, many that you've done with George. About how many have you and George done together, George Robertson? I think we did seven. They're not all in print. I think at least five of them are. Wow. That is that is so incredible. Um, Mary Beth is, as I said, is a professor at Covenant Seminary, teaching communicating the gospel, which is actually homiletics. Awesome topic. Mary Beth is married to Bill, who is just a delightful gentleman. I love Bill so much. I get to visit them from time to time when I'm in St. Louis, and they are just sweet to be around. Um, and you're a classically trained pianist. I don't know that you, I don't know that a lot of people know that, but you are an amazing pianist and you teach piano and you're an adjunct professor at Covenant, graduated with Covenant with your MDiv. That's helpful if you're teaching somebody, they need to know that you're trained. I did a while ago. (laughs) A while ago. And since then you have been teaching at conferences, and you're a conference speaker and teacher. And so we're just glad to have you with us today, Mary Beth. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to be here. All right, well, we're going to start off with what we normally do, Mary Beth. We call it our first things first segment. And so we're going to talk about a first in our life, and it's a new year, and we've all got things coming up. So we want to know, and we'll talk about ours too, what's the first vacation you know that you're going to be taking in 2022? Well, I don't know that I'll get to because with all the COVID stuff going on and travel and all that. But last year, Bill and I started playing golf again after a 35-year hiatus. And if, you, if you're if you like me, if you play golf, I, I don't want to play unless I can be pretty good. So when I tackle it, I really tackle it. And it's been so much fun. So I've been researching places that we might go someplace warmer than here, which tonight it's going to be seven and tomorrow night it's going to be five. So it's a little warmer and Jekyll Island down in Georgia, down your way has four golf courses there associated with the Jekyll Island club. And so I'd love to get down there sometime this year and play those courses. That's, that's what we want to do. It's not planned yet, but that's what we're hoping to do. That'd be beautiful. So when you say, when you tackle golf, you tackle golf, what, what does that look like on a practical level? Well, the first time I took on golf, I took it on reluctantly, but all our, our families played. Bill's family all played, my family all played, and we'd go to Odessa, Texas and visit my folks. And, you know, you sit and visit because that's all there is to do. And my husband said, well, why don't you learn to play golf? And then the four of us can all go play golf together. And so I just, he dragged me basically to my first lesson. We lived in San Antonio. And my first lesson was a very happy experience. My second lesson was too. So I told him... I'm going to get good at this and I'm going to beat you. 
And he said, no, Beth, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. I've been playing my whole life. Just go out there and have a good time. You will never beat me. Oh. That was August. So six days a week, I went out and hit one or 200 balls on the golf one range. Or and I played 18 holes five or six times a week. By what? Memorial Day, he shot an 83 and I shot an 81. That is impressive. That says a lot about you right now. So I took it on. And so this last spring, a couple of my girlfriends said, let's go take a group golf lesson. And I thought, well, that would be fun. It'd be fun to do with my girlfriend. So we went out and I kind of started getting back in it again. And then I started taking some private lessons. And so this summer, anytime that Bill and I could, we went out and played and we've just, it's kind of come back and we've been having a really good time. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. he already knew that you had that competitive edge, If even if you're just competing with yourself. I mean, I, I've not known you to do anything to not just do it to the hill. I 110% mean, is my motto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lesson of that story is don't pose you a challenge. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do it beat. Yep, I wouldn't do it. And I, I have one word of wisdom for you, Mary Beth, when you go to Jekyll Island is take some bug spray because those no seams. Oh. I have been to Jekyll several times for soccer tournaments and they can be brutal. So look Ooh, into that. Glad to know. It's a Thank beautiful you, Amber. place. But it yeah, is. I've never even heard of no see oh. until I moved here. No, you can't see them, but oh. you can feel them. You can Ooh. barely see them. Like when we go down to St. Simons, we always go over to Jekyll just for lunch or something. So okay. we, we're familiar with Jekyll, but we haven't played yeah. any of the courses. So we're excited. Yeah. That's really cool. What about you, Vanessa? What are you going to do? So I don't really know exactly where we're going yet, but it is my year to plan. So Marcus and I, my husband of 25 years now, we um, alternate who plans the anniversary trip. And it's my year because it's an even year coming up on our 26th. So it's an even year and I'll plan something. It'll be amazing. I don't know what it is. When's the anniversary? It's in May, May okay. 25th. So you have a little bit of time. I've got a little time. And uh, so I, I always look forward to that. Those yeah. are always, you know, those are pretty fun. Yeah, those are good times. Well, part of my Christmas present was my husband gave me a couple of bike trips. We like to road bike together. And so he printed out one. It's in the summertime before we had done something called Bike Ride Across Georgia. Brag, and you bike from one part of Georgia to another and you camp on your way. And so you make your way from destination A to B in the course of five days. And they have something called a little spring tune-up that's just outside of Augusta, maybe 50 miles. Everybody camps in this big field and they have courses set up and you can ride 100 miles, 64 miles, 20 miles, whatever. So we're hoping to do that in April with our boys. And then we're hoping to take a ride in Greenville um, in October. So those are just two of the bike trips we have coming up that and I, I'm competitive, so I, I like to get out there and try to try, Why do try I to beat my husband. He can totally beat me. It's not fair. I'm in better shape overall, I think. But he's still faster and stronger than me. And I'm a 16-year-old can pretty much take what? it. Not endurance-wise, but just straight-up pickup speed. That's not just, fair. Yeah. Oh, Sounds like great fun, though. As a fan. I'm with some competitive women, so. That's right. All right, well, now we're going to switch from competitiveness to pleasure. And Mary Beth, I'd like to know, what was a recent, this is something different than competing, what was a recent book that you've read for pleasure? Well, I would say my favorite book in 2000 was Ron Chernow's Grant. It was absolutely fascinating and wonderful, could not put it down. My favorite book in 2020 was Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Mm-hmm. And then last year, I would say I read some books for pleasure that didn't turn out to be pleasurable, but the book that turned out to be my favorite was Tim Keller's 
Mark, which is called Jesus the King, his mm-hmm. book about the book of Mark. We've we've used it for our community group, and I've just loved it. I've absolutely loved it. I've it's a pleasure to read. It was my favorite book of twenty one for sure. I love that one too. We did that study here, and it's, it's an incredible study. Yeah, it's an incredible study. So now, Mary Beth, what thing would you, uh, indulgence, let's say, would you have a hard time going without? That would be my morning Americano coffee. (laughs) Vanessa, you've been in our home, so you know we have this super duper coffee machine. You guys are serious about your coffee. You're, You're serious. It grinds it, it tamps it, you put it in, it makes the espresso and adds the water. And it, if you want to make a latte, it frosts the milk for you. It just all the things. It makes the house smell wonderful. That first sip of coffee, I'd be hard pressed and how to mm. behave for the rest of the day without that, I think. Yeah, I went through a little withdrawal when I left <laughs> staying at your house for a couple of days. It's like, this, these people don't do real coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is this? That's, that's not Folgers. <laughs> That's not instant. Stir in some water and, and go. A little different. It's a little different. All right. Well, Mary Beth, we've been asking you some personal questions just about your life, and we're going to transition here in a minute to talk about acts. But I want to know, just in general, when you first realized you had a love for studying and teaching the Word of God. I knew that I loved God's Word from the time I was a little girl, growing up in the church, loving the hymns of the faith, loving God's Word. But I didn't really study it until I got to college. I had some sorority sisters who loved the Lord too, and we did some studies together and at church and different things. But when I was just graduating from college, we lived in Indianapolis and belonged to a little church of about 100 members, and they needed someone to teach the junior girls, fifth, sixth, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade girls. So I, I, was, I did it. I was like 21 years old and had to study to teach. And when I taught those girls the Bible, it was the most thrilling thing I had ever done. And I thought, this is the best thing in the whole world. And from that moment on, I just felt like God had given me a love for that and an ability for that, which he just grew as, as time went on. But it was teaching those little girls that, that lit that fire for me. That's awesome. And I love that it was just, it, not just, but it was little girls. Mm-hmm. The, the fact of, of giving them the word and being able to see, even at their age, their response, or just that mm-hmm. light bulb that turns on, the joy that they have, mm-hmm. and how at 21 you would have known what a substantive and valuable thing that was. Yes. God. a blessing. Well, now several years later, you're writing Bible studies, and we're talking about, obviously, the one that you wrote with um, our former pastor, George Robertson. We'd love mm-hmm. to know a little bit about how you and George got into writing Bible studies together. So we joined Covenant Church here in St. Louis in 97 when George was pastor. And then in the end of 99, we left to go to Philadelphia to work there. Both Bill and I had jobs there, but we were there shortly. And we came back at the end of 2000. And George approached me at church and he was trying to wean the women off of just reading books about the Bible and Christian books into actual Bible study. Mm. So the year that we were in Philadelphia, he and one of our assistant pastors taught the women themselves. They taught the Bible study to get the women going into Bible study. So I came back from Philadelphia and George said, Mary Beth, I want you to do the women's Bible study. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want you to do it. I want you to do it all. I said, well, how do you want me to develop and train leaders? He said, just do it. All right. I said, uh, how do you want me? What kind of literature do you want me to use? What kind of materials? He said, just do it. I said, 
Thanks, George. Well, uh, he said, just why don't you write them? And I said, no. I said, uh, I'll do it if you write them. Uh, if you write them and I'll do it. He said, you help me write them and we'll do it. And I said, deal. So that's that's how it got started. We started with Luke and he sent me all of his Luke, Luke sermons that he had that he had preached some years earlier. And I turned them into the Luke Bible study. And then the next year we did Deuteronomy. And then the next year we did Ten Commandments and then First and Second Peter. And you know, we just went on from there. So that was that collaboration. He sent me his sermons. I turned them into Bible study. I sent them to him for his review. And then this, then we printed them up. And at, at one point we were printing, I think, 200 lessons a week because George taught the men on Wednesday night. I taught women on Wednesday night. They had small group studies and then they came, the men came together for a lecture from George. The women came together for a lecture. And then we also did a women's class on Thursday morning. So between all those classes, we were printing about 200 a week. So of a church of, you know, 400, that was a lot of our people being involved in the Bible study. Wow. Yeah. That's how we got started. And then, then when he went on to Augusta, I think that's when we did Acts because he was in the middle of preaching Acts when he left us and went to you. So I think after he finished Acts, he sent me the Acts sermons, which became the Acts study. That's so cool. So now our, our first press ladies are just beginning to prepare for this act study or they've already begun and, and, you know, are just getting into it. But either way, we're just beginning to get our feet wet here. So can you help us get our minds around where the book of Acts falls in redemptive history and why it's important for us to understand this book in this cultural moment? Hmm. You are a well-taught church, I know. So I know that your women know the big scheme of things in redemptive history. They know that God created everything in the beginning and that he created it good, but that it was broken by the fall with Adam and Eve and that everything we see now is touched by sin and broken and death entered and suffering and so on. But even as it, as it did fall, God promised a redeemer. And we see that in Genesis 3. And so everything from that point on was pointing to that Redeemer, who, of course, was Christ. And now that he has come, we're in the redemption that he has has won for us, for his people. And so from now we see that he is bringing everyone into his people, into the church, his people, the, his church, the church is his body. And so that's where we are right now. We're in this phase of he has left, has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell his people. And so Acts is, is not just the Acts of the Apostles. It's really a continuation of the Acts of Jesus Christ in and through his people, through his apostles, and now through his his people, us, through us, through you, through me. So it's his building his church, spreading his kingdom, growing his kingdom through us. That's why it's so important that we see how it started, how God works in and through his people, what the church looks like, how it's supposed to behave. We see that's the the New Testament until we see with the Revelation where this is all going, because now everything was pointing to Christ. And so we look not only back to Christ and his person and his work, but we look forward now to his coming again at the consummation of all things when he will set everything right and there'll there'll be no more sin. It will be put away forever. We'll be completely separated, not only 
from its power, but from its presence. Now we enjoy complete separation from its punishment in Christ. And certainly as he grows us in our sanctification, we are more and more freed from its power, but one day we'll even be freed from its presence. So that's, that's the big the big story, and finally we'll end up with the new heaven and new earth. But it's so important for us to see where we are now, because that's where we're living. We're living in that same, that same phase of history where we where Acts begins. Yeah, I find that so uh, helpful that you guys continually make that distinction throughout the study that not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of Jesus Christ continued through His people, and I think that that is powerful because it doesn't allow us to just kind of be passive about um, the spirit being at work right now in his church. So I love that, I love that you mm-hmm. make that distinction. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that too, because it, it reminds me, sometimes I can think the church is man-made institution. I know it's not, but I could feel that way, um, particularly working in church. And when I started reading Acts a little bit ago, what popped out to me was just how Luke introduces it, just saying, He's continuing on from all the works Jesus began to do. And now he's telling more about the church. And I thought just in that little phrase, Jesus began to do means he's continuing Mm -hmm. to do. And that just jumped out at me right Mm -hmm. away and and sort of surprised me. And I think anytime you study a book of the Bible, of course, we are in a sense surprised or our eyes are open to something we hadn't considered or thought about because that's what the spirit does. He teaches us things that we do not know. When you studied Acts, um, either the first time you put this together with George or even recently, what are some things in your learning that stuck out to you, surprised you, were new to you, or just fresh again? I think one thing that it delighted me was how much we see not only the work of, of divinity, of the Trinity, but also just the humanity that is communicated to us through Luke. Just looking at Acts chapter 20, we see Eutychus falling asleep in a very hot room mm-hmm. where Paul goes on and on and on and preaching and teaching for hours, so much so that he falls out of a window and is picked up dead. And he's, then Paul revives him. And this just this very real situation of falling asleep during a sermon. And then in, later on in the same chapter, when Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders there on the shore, and they're all weeping because knowing they'll never see his face again and embracing him and just, just the, the humanity yeah. of it and the reality of that this is, this is what, yes, it's a supernatural work that God is doing. As you just said, the church is a supernatural thing. And it, just sitting and looking around our church on any given Sunday is like, how could such a diverse people, how do we get along? What are we all doing in the same room? We would have never chosen to be here together. God obviously put this together. So it's a supernatural thing that God is doing. And yet it's so human and it's so messy. And that's how, that's all God's got is he's chosen. This is us. We're, we're the plan that he's got for winning the world to himself. And he doesn't have a plan B. This is it. It's us. So it's a supernatural thing that he does through messy people just like us. And it's, it's, it's fun to see both the power of God and the humanity of those he works through. It's, it's quite amazing. And then I would also say that how strongly the character of God comes through in this study and what a faith builder it is to see what God does and how he does it in Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit. It really encouraged my faith, not only in God, but in what he could do through me and how much I underestimate what he, he, the Holy Spirit, is doing and can do in me. It's just, if I'm not aware of it, and I don't bank on it, and I don't act on it, 
how much my life is lessened. But if I see God for who he is and, and act on that, how much bigger everything is and how much more exciting life is. It's scary. He works through suffering. He builds through persecution. But at the same time, who would want to miss that? Because you're doing something that is eternal significance and infinite results. It's so good. I love, I, I always love when um, Christ's humanity is expounded upon because I think so often it can be really tough for us to think of him as human, being fully man. And then so to even see humanity, uh, his humanity expressed throughout the book of Acts, but also like you were saying, Eutychus, I mean, just to, to see <laughs> just the ordinary way that a human would respond to a long sermon. I, it's just, you go. I love that. I love that very much. So how would you say that your perspective on the work of the spirit in the church changed or grew through writing this study? Well, it's, it's basically what I, what I said, that it's the spirit of Christ doing his work, that it's still the acts of Jesus Christ doing his work through his Holy Spirit, and who is often called the spirit of Christ. He's called the spirit of God. He's called the Holy Spirit, but he's also called the spirit of Christ. And so it's his doing his work through us that it is still Christ's work. And it's, it's, it seems so strange to think that Christ would work through me. Mm. And yet, and yet that's, that's how I came to faith. Christ working through my friends to get me somewhere where I would hear the gospel. So who has a testimony that doesn't include somehow God working through a believer to influence his life? It's how he does it. So I would say that, as I said before, just my awareness of the Holy Spirit and seeing what he does and being aware of that, it really increases my desire to pray and uh, to serve because it doesn't depend on me. He is at work and he works in and through his word, not through me. You know, John Wesley used to get up and read his sermon in a monotone and people would just fall down (laughs) slain in the spirit, as it were. So he lets us be the tool in his hand, but a hammer doesn't have any power unless the one with the power picks it up and uses it. And we're just hammers that he chooses to pick up and use, hopefully not a hammer, maybe something (laughs) more gentle, but whatever, you know, if the nail needs pounding, you know, he'll do what he needs to with the tool. But so that's just, it's a very, it gives you more courage and confidence because it doesn't depend on you and can't depend on you. If it does depend on you, it's not a good thing. But it just really increases my confidence because it's not in me. It's in him. And he's at work. And if he needs to work through my failure, okay, he'll work through my failure or my struggles or my trials or whatever it is. He will use them as he will because it's dependent on him and not me. Such an important reminder. And even just being in the church for a long time, serving in the church for a long time, how quickly that can the idea can be misplaced, knowing that we're being used, but then counting on ourselves too much. And what a freedom and a peace, in a sense, a comfort it is when we remember what it is that the Lord is actually doing through us. And I think that that's somewhat true just about church life in general. You know, you, you, there's the supernatural and then there's the ordinary. And it's sort of like family life. There's the wonderful, sweet memories. There's the wonderful times. And there's the day-to-day chaos and yuck and brokenness and so on and so forth. And, you know, people struggle with that in different ways. Just the church, of course, there's going to be hurts and 
um, things that go poorly and things that go well and a combination of our humanity and the brokenness of that mixed in with just the Lord's steady, faithful redemption. I think it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to know a little bit about your personal history um, in the church, you know, just in general, what sort of struggles and joys you've encountered and, and how studying acts solidified to you the importance of being a part of your local um, church body? That's a good question. I'm a person who's always had a happy church relationship. I know some women can't say that, but I had a wonderful growing up in the church experience. I had a great church experience in college. I married a man who loves church as much as I do, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's just been the habit of our lives. And we've always had pastors who were never threatened by my gifts, but encouraged my gifts of leadership and of teaching. Not that I'm a a complementarian. So within that framework, they've given me great freedom to lead women and teach women and and use my gifts and they're not threatened by it and they welcome it and they they encourage them and they do everything they can to support me. So you know we joined the PCA with George as our first pastor, and then we moved to Philadelphia where James Montgomery Boyce was our pastor and came back. Brian Chapel was seminary president. And then after George went to Augusta, Ryan Laughlin was called. And all these men have done nothing but encourage and support. And so I've had a really happy experience in the church. And I know, as I say, I know a lot of women can't say that and there's woundedness and there are things that have happened. But I've had a very happy experience in the local church. And because we don't have children and because we have St. Louis, I think it's the 16th American city that I've called home in my life. So I've moved a lot and church has always been our family. That's been our home base because we've moved so much and not been in a town with family. So for us, that's always been a concept that has been reality in our lives. So of course, the family's a family, like you say, Amber, and there's gonna be people you get along with sometimes and sometimes it's more challenging and sometimes it's messy, but it's always been our family because we have moved so much and don't have children. So that's where I think I've had more challenges is on the denominational level and just for different things that I've done within the denomination. If you Google my name, you're gonna find some not very nice things said about me by some of the men in our denomination. I've been misquoted, different things have happened, and I, I just don't even worry about that, actually. I just let the Lord defend me in that. I don't worry about it. It's not pleasant. But the, but the men that support me in our denomination are so wonderful. And so I just say, you know, I just try and follow the Lord and, and try and rightly divide the word of truth and pray that he will show me error when I have error and help me love those that don't love me and that sort of thing. And I, I kind of chuckle because if they just knew how conservative I really am, I think they, they might back off a bit, but anyway, it's that's where I've I've been more challenged. But on the local level, it's been it's been easier for me. It's been a total joy. Well, just as one of your students, I can I can affirm that we and many of us now through the years. How many years have you been teaching there, Ben? At at Covenant Seminary. Let's see, 15? So 15 there. And so to know that you're a product of all of those many mentors mentoring you through the local church, what you have poured into the next generation of leaders and teachers is, uh, it's invaluable. 
So I, I just per- personally learned so much under your tutelage. And so I'm grateful for those wow. that, that um, nurtured you and, and cared for you and brought you up through the ranks in the local church and, and encouraged your teaching gift because it is an amazing gift. Oh, thank you. What encouragement would you offer now? Our women, they're getting ready to, to dig in, Mary Beth. <laughs> so give them that last little bit of oomph that they need to go ahead and get started. Ladies, go pick up your books. Go get it now. Let's do it. Mary Beth's getting ready to tell you why. Come on, Mary Beth, why do you need to do it? <laughs> well, there are many reasons to do it, but the I will say that you're going to look at those notes and you're going to say, these notes are long. But let me tell you, they are worth mm-hmm. it. George Robertson's exposition is worth it. And as I reviewed the study, just in preparation for our time together in our discussion today, I was so blessed just by looking at over again at the end of every lesson are three questions that are encouraged for their discussion Mm -hmm. in their groups. And one question is, what are the things you want to remember from this lesson? How does this lesson, number two, how does this lesson inform your thinking about how Christ builds his church? And then the third one, for what has this lesson encouraged you to pray or to give thanks? Those kinds of questions. And I was just looking at my answers on lesson eight, what are the things you want to remember from this lesson? That joy equals the profound assurance in the midst of a broken world that I am right with God. And another one, that a sacrament is a visible display of the promises of God's word in Christ. And it's the way God physically embraces us. Mm. And we must not put more shackles on a new believer than the Bible does. I mean, these, I mean, these things just come at you when you read these notes, they're just constant. And then how does this lesson inform your thinking about how Christ built the church? By protecting new believers through other more mature disciples. Here's another answer. Jesus is personally involved in bringing his children together for mutual strengthening through discipleship. There's no greater satisfaction than pouring your life into a younger Christian and watching her thrive. Oh, and then... Yeah, I know. And then for what has this lesson encouraged you to pray? And I and I just at that on that week when I answered, I said for the mentoring and discipleship relationship I'm about to enter with the troubled young believer. So just looking at at my notes and looking at George's uh, exposition, I just thought I want to do this one again. Yes, the notes are long, but but and it starts first of all with just you and the Bible. So you're going to be tempted to read the notes when you stick to when you find a question that's a little hard, but just make yourself immerse yourself in the text first. Start there. Don't look ahead. Don't look at the notes at the bottom of your Bible. Just you and the Holy Spirit and God's word, because the things that you dig out for yourself are the things you'll remember the most. And let's say you come up with a wrong answer. You find out later. Well, we learn most from our mistakes, too. So just get in there with yourself, with God's word and, and attack it that way first and see what God does. Mary Beth, you continue to be a gift to me. I am so grateful for your insights for just this study, um, but just the way that you continue to encourage through this study, through your teaching and through your work in the local church. Grateful that the spirit is yet at work in the local church and through you. Thank you, Vanessa. Me too. Grateful for your time with us, Mary Beth. Thank you, Amber. It's been a pleasure. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to join us next week as we begin this exploration of Acts together. You can take us with you for some cozy time underneath a fuzzy blanket. Nice. Or while you head to the store with your seat warmer on because it is finally cold enough in Georgia to enjoy <laughs> both of those things. Uh, Katie Driver and Mary Carraza will be joining us next week, and we hope you'll listen in.